If you'll take your Bibles, would you do that? Would you take your Bibles and turn over to the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you and did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is God's word. As we pray, let's remember our congregation of brothers and sisters here in town at King's Baptist Church. As they hear the word of God today, let's pray for them as well. Our Father, once again, we turn to your scriptures, we open them, and we understand that this is not any ordinary book. This is the word of the living God. And so today, as we read it, as we expound upon it, as we hear it, may we receive it just as the Thessalonians did, not as a word from man, but as the word of God. May our brothers and sisters at King's Baptist Church today, may they be edified, may they be fed and built up in their faith that they may continue meaningful worship and ministry within this community. Blessings be upon them and upon your people here today, in Christ's name, amen. Authorities in the country of Sweden in the depths of World War II handed out a pamphlet that looked like this. You'll see a picture of it. It's, it's a pamphlet that was handed out to every citizen of the country of Sweden during World War II. And the reason these were given out were to help the citizens should war come to their doorstep. Should war come to their city, they would know what to do, how to respond. What I found interesting about this story was that authorities in Sweden have decided this year 
to hand out a new pamphlet. And In other words, every citizen in Sweden in the month of May will receive a brand new pamphlet. And it will include tips on how to grapple with new threats of this era. In other words, they want their people to understand there's certain things going on, certain threats, certain dangers, and we want to help you to know how to navigate these. As I heard this story, I couldn't help but think about the letter that we've been looking at, Second Thessalonians, because it seems like Paul would have the same spirit of concern for this young church in the city of Thessalonica during the first century A.D., because it was a congregation that was planted in a culture that was hostile to Christianity. In other words, this church was planted in an atmosphere where it was not particularly welcome. In fact, they were facing certain hostilities. For example, you'll remember in chapter 1, we read where this congregation was facing literal physical persecution. Then when we looked at chapter 2, we found that in addition to physical persecution, they were, they were receiving intellectual persecution. In other words, there were certain false teachings that had leaked into the church and were spreading. And now we get to chapter 3 and we find the threat or the temptation to idleness, which we'll look at in just a moment. But here's how, the, here's how this letter broke down. You remember chapter 1? Paul is writing to encourage them, reminding them that, that Jesus is coming. You know, Jesus is coming, and he, when he comes, he's going to bring relief to his people, and he's going to punish the evildoers. But then in chapter 2, we notice that Paul said, not yet. In other words, chapter 1, he is coming back, but not yet, because there's certain things that must take place. Then near the end of chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, Paul is instructing these believers on how to live in the meantime. In other words, how to live now until Jesus does return. You see, it really matters what you do while you wait. Uh, for, for example, I, I heard a story the other day about uh, the, the airport at Houston, Texas. Uh, they were having a, a huge problem. A lot of complaints were coming in from travelers because people were getting off the plane then they were hurrying over to the baggage claim and they were having to wait an excessive amount of time. And so the complaints begin to pile up and pile up. And so the authorities there at the airport said, we got to do something. So they tried certain changes and, and nothing seemed to work until one person thought of this. They decided to move the, the, uh, the departure gates. In other words, when people were getting off the plane, they moved that further away from the baggage claim. So that when they got off the plane, they have a long walk. And then, by the time they got to the baggage area, the baggage would be there. Now you say, good grief, how could that help? It turns out that that worked. It turns out that the complaints dropped. And see, what they found out was that we tolerate occupied time far better than unoccupied time. In other words, give us something to do while we wait and the waiting becomes more bearable. And this picture will help you if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel. You've been to Cracker Barrel, and that's on the table for a certain reason, because what you do while you wait matters, right? So what believers are doing while they wait 
matters. And chapter 3 is informing us that what we are to be doing while we wait is we are to live as people under command. People under command. Here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to break that idea down into three things. There's a lot of things we could look at in chapter 3. I think probably the at least as as I see this, it seems to be the most important thing that stands out, that just jumps off the pages to me, is one, we are a people who are responsible to live under command. Then secondly, we're going to ask a question. How do the commands come to us today? Thirdly, we want to take a few minutes to look at the beauty, the beauty of living under command. So the first thing is our responsibility to live under command. I want you to take your finger. You have your Bible open. I want you to see that we're not making this up. In chapter 3, I want you to put your finger on verse 4. Let's, let's follow this through this chapter. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. See that word? Okay. All right. Verse 6. Now we command you, brothers... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Verse 12. Now such persons we command. And then in verse 14, where we do not see the word command, but we see it implied, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter. I hope you see that we have six I, I, I should say five, four, four that are clear and, and one that's implied. We are a people. Christians are people who live under command. The very word that Paul uses here is a word for military orders. The, the, in the original Greek, the, the, the word is, is, is used as an officer giving other officers or, or those under him commands. In other words, Paul is not simply saying, I want to give you some advice. He is clearly saying he is commanding them. Now let that sink in for just a moment. He is commanding these believers. Now let me be clear. We're not saying here, don't misunderstand, we need to clear this up. We're not saying that we are, a person is saved by keeping commands. That's that's not at all the case. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. So we're not saved by commands, but we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to be a people who live under command. Now, this is not going to be this is not going to be popular, okay? It's not going to be something that some people will jump up and down and say, "Yay," because we uh, we, we don't particularly like being told what to do. But let me be clear here. In chapter 3, it is hard to get away from the reality that Christians are a people who live under command. And I thought, you know, there's a tremendous amount of biblical support for this, so much that it's overwhelming. And so I decided to take just a few verses, a few samples of many verses that support this. And we'll start in John 14. And you're going to see a succession of verses that will help state this very clearly. Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15 and 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice 
Jesus actually says that he kept commandments. He kept his father's commands. And so we who belong to Jesus, we who follow Jesus, are people who live under command. Now, if you're sharp here, you might say, well, wait a minute, Brother Van. Who's Jesus speaking to here? Isn't he speaking to his disciples? And yes, yes, he's speaking here to his disciples. But remember this. Just before Jesus was to ascend into heaven, he would say to his disciples, he would say, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, what I have commanded you, what I have taught you, you go and teach and command others, others in particular who will become disciples of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Second John chapter 4, or verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Scripture clearly teaches that a follower of Jesus is a person under command. Now, if you are indeed a Christian and you find you, you 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 hear this and you say, you know, my deepest, my deepest longing, my deepest desire is to keep my Lord's commandments. Uh, I, I, I'm not perfect, I, I but I diligently from the depth of my heart, the deepest desire I have is to live under command of my Lord. If If that's the case for you, it's important that you know why you want to. It's important to know why you want to. Because by nature, we are commandment ignorers. In other words, left to ourselves, without any divine help, divine intervention, we are people who ignore commandments. I want you to see a picture that will help, okay? Uh, I was sitting at a red light uh, just this week. Yeah, right there, right there at the center of town, okay? This is me right here in this truck, okay? Uh, and do you see this line? That's a commandment. But do you see this guy? He's ignoring the commandment, right? Now, before I jump all over him, you know, but see, you understand why this is a problem, don't you? Because the person over here who is getting ready to turn right here and come around this way, you can I, I sit there and watch. I see the looks on her face. The looks on their face as they look at this guy right here. This guy right here. As they, as they look at him, they're looking like, like, what's wrong with you? Don't you, don't you see the line? You see? By nature, we are commandment ignorers. Now, you know, I'm not, you know, look, I've, I've been on that side of the line before. I have, but it's not often. It's not often that I get on that side of the line because you're not supposed to, right? You're not supposed to. Well, Here's my point. When you find yourself wanting deeply, your deepest desire is to keep your Lord's commandments, you must know it is because God has given you a new heart. If your deepest desire is, I want to obey my Lord, I want to live under command, I want to do what he said, it's important that you know you feel that way. Because you have been given a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, And I will give you a new heart, 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That, 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 that's that part that goes over the line, over the line, over the line, ignores, ignores. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Understand, if you're here this morning and you say, I love the Lord I love him, and I want to live under his commands. I've stumbled. I've stumbled before, but my deepest desire is to live under command. Rejoice this morning because it, God gave you a new heart for that. See, see, we're not talking about, we're not talking about some religion. Christianity is not some religion here where you just try to do your best, try to see that you balance the scales out, you do a lot more good than you do bad. No, it's about God taking the initiative to give you a new heart, to give you a new birth, to become a new man, a new woman in Christ. It takes a divine miracle for that to take place. How do, we initiate, how do we initiate that miracle? How, what, what, what do we do? John said this, but as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become sons of God. See what you say, what, what do I need to do to have this new heart? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Right now, sitting here, you can say, God, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. And I say all of this because in verse 4 and 5 in our text, it seems to me that this is exactly what Paul is referring to. He said, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. See, Paul is expecting the Lord so to work in the lives of these believers that they will indeed respond to the commandments laid on them. See, isn't it good to know that we're not left to ourselves? I'll, I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my spirit to work in your heart and life that you'll long, your deepest desire will be to live under commandment. But you might say, well, wait a minute. You should say, wait a minute. Why do Christians disobey at times? And by the way, that's, that's what's going on in chapter 3. L look at verse 6 with me. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. You see that? It, there, there, were, there were believers, there were brothers and sisters, they, they're called brothers here, whom were living in a disorderly manner. In other words, they were not living under command. And so in verse 15, Paul says, Do not regard them as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so let's try this on for size for just a moment, this, this warn them. Uh, this, this illustration might not be the best, but I'm going to see if we can make it work. There's a catcher here. You know, for you baseball fans, you know that the catcher uh, gives certain signs to the pitcher. And the pitcher will sometimes say yes, you know, nod like, okay, I'll take that sign. Okay, we'll do that. And sometimes you'll blow the, blow the signs off. Uh, there might be someone here right now this morning, either you're listening by the way of radio or here today, and, and you, you have been waving Jesus off. 
Jesus has been saying, here's the sign, here's, here's what you should do, or here's what you shouldn't do. And you've been waving him off. You're, you're, in other words, you're saying yes to what he's saying no to. Or to put it this way, it's the signal that God has been trying to give you. Have you, have you been ignoring that? In other words, what he has been stating clearly in his word, or, or, and you see it, you hear it, uh, and, and you're, you're waving it off. Like, no, no. Now, let me say, warning, warning here, okay? Because that's what Paul is doing here. He's warning. If that's you, at the very least, you are living unwisely. And at the very worst, you are living dangerously. Because it is not wise, it is not safe to continue blow off the signals of the Lord. In fact, the heart of this chapter, the heart of chapter 3, is warn, Paul's saying, warn them that no good can come out of waving Jesus off. So what do you do if you've been waving Jesus off and you, you've, been, you've been saying no to what he's being saying yes to or you're saying yes to what he's being saying no to? Repent. <laughs> Repent. Repent and come back under your Lord's command because Christians are people who live under command. Secondly, how do the commands come to us today? Now, this is really important, and you'll understand why in a moment. Paul is writing this letter, and he's, he's, he's saying, we command you. We command you. Um, Paul is speaking with apostolic authority. Paul is an apostle. He is, he's saying in this letter, he's saying in this chapter particularly, my commands are the Lord's commands. In other words, that's why he says, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's important to remember. No one in the church today has authority which even remotely resembles that of the apostles. No one. That's how unique the apostles were. No one in the church today has authority to command even remotely that resembles that of the, the apostle. Not even a pope. Not even the pope. Now, there are those who presume to have such authority. And you can find the wreckage of that in what's often called the shepherding movement. Uh, you can get, on, get online, check that out today, do a little homework. There are, there, are, there are people in the church who speak very authoritatively and command their members. And folks, I just want you to know, uh, I do not. I do, not, I do not have the authority that Paul had. I do not, there's nobody in the church today that has the kind of authority that resembles that of the apostles. So here's, here's why it's important to ask, how do the commandments come to us then? Since there are no original apostles today in the 21st century, how do our Lord's commands come to us? They come to us through the New Testament. They come to us through the New Testament, which preserves the apostles' teachings given to them by Christ. You understand? Remember, remember a moment ago we said, Jesus, before he ascended, he would say to his disciples, to his apostles, he would say, go, make disciples. In other words, go preach the gospel to others and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then teach to them to observe or to obey all that I've commanded you. 
So Jesus commands his apostles, and then those commands are written down in the New Testament, and they are passed on down to us. In other words, when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading the words of Jesus. You're reading his words. You're reading his instruction, his commands. That's why we read in Let me give you two passages, Ephesians chapter 2. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. If the scriptures say not to do such and such, or if the scriptures say do such and such, believers are to obey them. That's how the commandments come to us today. But let's talk for just a moment about the beauty of living under command. See, there are many paths that are held out to us in life and we're told that if, you know, if you'll just do this, if you'll just start doing this, or if you'll just start using this, if you'll buy into this, if you'll join this, these things will lead to human flourishing. In other words, you'll find what you're looking for. So there's many, many paths that are presented to us with a promise that leads to human flourishing, but only one path actually does. There's a passage in Psalm 19 that's helpful The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the word pure there means radiant. Uh, These commandments we've been talking about, commandments from the Lord, His commandments that we are to live under, they are radiant. And then it says enlightening the eyes, meaning they're easy on the eyes. You know, you've probably heard somebody say, you know, hey, they they look, you know, they think he's attractive or she's attractive. They say, oh, he's he's easy on the eyes. The commandments of the Lord are radiant and easy on the eyes. But the truth is, and you know this, not everyone agrees with that. Not everyone agrees with that. In fact, some people feel that's just the opposite. They find commandments to be restrictive and confining and stifling. You know, the Bible says I shouldn't be doing this and I shouldn't be doing this or I should be doing this, I should be doing that. It's so restrictive. And, 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 and to some, living free of commandments is, is the better option. Well, let's, let's think about that for just a moment. Um, God's commandments are radiant, beautiful, easy on the eyes. And, and someone comes along and says, no, 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 no. They're stifling. They're They're oppressive. They're restrictive. And, and I, think, I, think I, would, I think I would fare better if I just kind of do what I want to do. Well, Henry Blackaby wrote about the first funeral that he had to perform as a young pastor. It was for a, a three-year-old girl. Since she was the first child born to a couple in our church and the first grandchild in their extended family. Unfortunately, though, she was spoiled. While visiting the little girl's home one day, I observed that she loved to ignore her parents' instructions. When they told her to come, she went. When they said, sit down, she stood up. Her parents laughed. They they thought it was cute behavior. One day, the front door was inadvertently left open. The parents saw their child escaping out of the yard and heading toward the road. To their horror, a car was racing down the street, and the little girl ran out between two parked cars. Mom and Dad screamed at her to stop and turn back. She didn't pause for a second. 
She looked back at her parents and then gleefully she laughed as she turned and ran directly into the path of the oncoming car. Parents rushed the little girl to the hospital, but she died from their injuries. As a young pastor, Henry said, this was a profound lesson for me. I realized I must teach God's people not only to recognize his voice, but also immediately to obey his voice when they hear it. Friends, living outside God's commands, ignoring God's commands, does not lead to life. It leads to death. You might say, though, preacher, is it always easy to live under command? Is it always easy? And we'd have to be honest, no. At times it can be unwelcome. It can be frustrating. You might be sitting here today thinking, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. But, but down deep you know God's been showing you the signals in his word that that's not the way to go. And so it may be frustrating. It may be cramping your style. But, friend, living under command is always ultimately a blessing. I mean, think about it. When you, when you sit down with your family on the holidays, maybe you, you, you play games. And let's say you pull out Monopoly. Isn't the game so much more pleasurable and delightful as everybody plays according to the rules? It, it wouldn't be all that fun if one of, one of them said, look, I, I don't want to go this way around the board. I want to go this way. Or, or how about the, the gymnast as the winter games are coming up? How about the gymnast who gets up at 4 a.m. and travels three hours for practice and does this five days a week? And someone says to them, you know, your life is so repressive. Your life is so repressive. It's so confined. You've got to stick to the rules and do this and do this and do this. That is until they go on and they succeed and win a gold medal at the Olympics. You see, what we lose by living under our Lord's command is what was only going to hinder us in our walk with God. There's far more satisfaction by living under command than by disobeying. And there's a beauty to it. And the beauty begins, I think, in Romans chapter 5. And we read this verse together this morning. Let's look at it one more time, and I'll wrap things up. For as by one man's, that would be Adam, disobedience, the many were made sinners. You see what happens when Adam disobeyed. So by the one man, Jesus, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I found this, and I don't know if this will be helpful to you, but it's, it's interesting. A mathematician, here, here's how he calculated this, and it's way beyond my brain, but he said, here's, he said, here's one way to look at Jesus' earthly life of obedience to God the Father. Jesus lived approximately 33 and a half years, or that would be, listen, 1 billion, 57 million, 157,021 seconds. They, they, kind of ciphered that out. That's 33 and a half years. Or translated into seconds, it would be uh, 1,057,157,021 seconds. And in every second, now listen, in every second, the average human being's brain has 1 billion neurons all firing around 200 times per second, giving a capacity of 20 million billion firings per second. If we want to know how many conscious decisions Jesus made to obey his Father's will, multiply 20 million billion by the number of seconds he lived, and the equation would look like this. 
Notice equals a very large number. To the degree, listen, to the degree that you see Jesus doing this for you, to the degree that you see Jesus obeying this way for you. What, what, it's obedience that many will be made righteous. To the degree that you see Jesus doing that for you, then you can go this week and live under command. Because, friend, the beauty begins. The beauty of living under command live, begins with Jesus living under command his entire life so that many, you, me, will be made righteous as we put our faith in him. To the degree that this is real to you, to the degree that this is beautiful and lovely to you, you will go this week and live under his command. Let's pray. Paul said to this church in Thessalonica, he, he, was, he was so concerned because there were people in that congregation 